Good morning. Good morning. Hey, here's the question. I hope you've got your Bible. Here we go. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and get our Bibles ready so that we can uh, follow along today. Some of what we have will be on the screen. Some of it you will actually need to use a Bible in your own hands. If you did not bring one with you today, you can use uh, your a smart device where you can look that up on the internet. A little bit later, we're going to be in James chapter 1. Last week, we started this new series called The Secret to Lasting Change. And we started with this diagram inspired by Chip Ingram that represents our lives. It's a triangle with a wavy line that goes through the center. And so we go ahead and put that on the screen. That with that, uh, that triangle and that wavy line in the middle, could we go ahead and put that on the screen? There we go. That that uh, represents our lives in that part of our life is above the surface where everybody can see it. And then part of it is below the surface in our lives where only we know or sometimes we don't even know what's going on deep down beneath the surface in our lives. And so there are two things above the surface and two things below the surface in our lives. Down at the very base, at the foundation of our lives, we have our beliefs and values. These are the things that we believe about ourselves, the things that we believe about the world, the things that we believe about God, the things we believe about others, and the values that we hold dear. That influences our thoughts and our attitudes. What we believe and value affects how we think about things and how we feel about things. This then begins to spill out of our lives as evidenced by our words, the things that we say. And then our words begin to impact our behavior, the choices and the ways that we act each and every day. And so we identified last week this major problem, one of the reasons that many times we try to make changes in our lives that do not seem to stick, and it has to do with this, that often what we do is start up here with our behavior. We say, well, I kind of don't like this particular part of my life. I'd like for things to be different. And so maybe I need to start doing this, and I need to stop doing that. And we come up with these list of things that we ought not do and the things that we would like to start doing. And we, we talked about a whole list of those things that might apply to our lives. But the problem is, when we only start up here with our surface behaviors... It always falls short when it comes to lasting change, and here's why. Because superficial analysis only brings superficial change in our lives. When we only look at the surface level issues in our life, our behavior, and even our words, then we only see surface level things, and when we only make surface level changes, superficial change never lasts. And so back to that diagram again, that what we need to do is to get beneath the surface in our lives, to analyze our thoughts and our attitudes, our beliefs and our values. And so we left you with an assignment last week. We gave you a card with Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And so hopefully you spent time each and every day this week 
in this passage of scripture. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. Out loud together, Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so hopefully you took that time to be quiet and listen to God as you invited him to search your heart and to test you and know your inner thoughts and your anxieties and begin to ask him, God, is there anything in my life that is offensive in me? In other words, anything that is not in alignment with your desire for my life. And so that was last week. Now we're going to move from what God wants us to change to the question of why. And this is an issue of motivation. Today we're going to talk about motivation, which has to do with why we maybe want to do certain things or change certain things in our lives. You know that motivation is a multi-billion dollar industry. Advertisers, right? They want to motivate you to buy their product. And sports coaches get paid obscene amounts of money to motivate teams to work together. Uh, I have this football. We lived the last 10 years in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the home of the world champion college football team, the University of Alabama Roll Tide. You can tell that we're in Canada. <laughs> if you don't see what this is, it says on there, to Pastor Joel from Nick Saban. Nick Saban is known as one of the most powerful coaches, if not one of the most powerful men in all of America today. Last year, the University of Alabama, after, this is even before he won uh, the 17th championship for the University of Alabama. This year, they paid him $11.5 million, and he just signed an extension to his contract for $65 million as a college football coach. And all he could afford to give me was this little football. <laughs> Come on, Nick, you could have done better. Uh, but why? Why? Because, in part, because he is a master motivator. He knows how to get people to make changes in their lives, to come together and work together as a team. And so, in just a minute, we're going to get to James chapter 1, uh, but what we're going to see today in James 1 is how God's motivation for us is very different than the way that the world works. And so uh, last week we said that superficial analysis only brings superficial change, which never lasts. This week we're going to see that also superficial motivation only brings superficial change which never lasts in our lives. And so before we get into our scripture today in James chapter 1, first, I want to talk about two insufficient motivations that are in fact often the most common motivators for people trying to make changes in their lives. Are you ready to see what those two common motivations are? The first one is a car battery, and the second one is a vending machine. Does that make sense? Not a lick of sense. I promise. Hopefully it will in just a minute. But let's say that together. Everybody say, car battery? And say, vending machine. Now, why are these common but insufficient 
motivators. Well, a car battery is like guilt. Now, guilt is often the motivator for us trying to make changes in our lives. You know, I really ought to stop doing this. And I really ought to start doing that. And we come up with these long lists of things that we feel guilty about. You know, I probably ought to change. I probably ought to do better. And that guilt battery starts to charge up, charge up, charge up, until finally we make a decision with the emotional combustion to start the change engine. If you know anything about the electrical system of a car, you know that a car can run for a while even with the alternator broken on just the battery. And so you can start that car up and, and go a few kilometers down the road with just the battery, but if the alternator is broken pretty quickly, that battery will drain down until the car stops and you are stuck on the side of the road. So maybe you're stuck on the side of the road and then all of a sudden someone comes driving along and a good Samaritan stops to help you and they get out their jumper cables and they help charge up your battery enough to get the car to start again and you head off down the road until the battery drains and you're stuck again. The same is true with guilt. See, what happens is so often guilt builds in our lives and it's enough to get us started. And so here we go. We're driving down the road to change, a New Year's resolution. My life is going to be so much better. But after we make the change, after a while, the guilt battery drains down and we get stuck and we go back to old patterns until something happens. Maybe we go to church or we read something in the Bible or we are around someone who is a positive influencer in our life. And so we think, oh man, the guilt battery starts to charge back up again. I guess I probably ought to try to change again. And so we change again just enough to get the battery turning over the chain down and we stop again. Does this sound like a common pattern in many of our lives? Start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Because guilt is an insufficient motivator for long-lasting change in our lives. Now what about the vending machine? The vending machine represents greed. Greed has to do with the hungers and the desires of our heart, the appetites of our flesh, the things that we want. We want more stuff. That's what drives so much of the way that we live our lives in the world. That's why at night you can turn on the TV and watch the infomercials where they say with no money, no education, no brains, no nothing, they can help you make a million bucks. And the 17-year-old gets on there and says, I'm only 17, I have 10 condos and a Ferrari, and you can do it too. Now, what are they doing? Are they, are they telling you what a good person you are? No, they're motivating that desire to, to say, oh, I wish I could have that stuff in my life. When the World Gym Fitness Center advertises to get us to, to, to start for the gym for the new year, do they show you an average sized person shaped like a pear with love handles who says, you know, now that I've, I've started working out, I may never look like a supermodel, but I feel so much healthier and good about myself. Is that what they do? No, they show you the guy with washboard abs who can crack walnuts in his armpit. They show you the girl who walks down the street and guys drive their cars into light poles. I mean, it's just, why? And we think, we think, oh, if I joined there, maybe I could look like that. Really? 
Now, now, now maybe you could. I don't want to tell you what you can't do. But, but more often than not, what they're doing is appealing to, to our sense of, if I could do this, then my life would be better. If I could have more stuff, then my life would be better. And so, uh, how does that relate to a, a, a vending machine? Well, have you ever had one of those days where... You know, maybe you've been rushing around at work and then you have to run errands around town and maybe you run into an office building and there you find the holy grail of junk food, a vending machine. And you haven't had lunch and it's midway through the afternoon and so you satisfy your hunger with three Snickers bars, two bags of Smarties, a large Coke and a bag of chips. And at first it tastes so good, doesn't it? It's like, oh, this is what I craved. This is going to satisfy my hunger. But does it? No. See, the more you eat of that junk food, the less satisfied you feel. In fact, you start to feel a little sick to your stomach. And the same is true with greed in our lives. When we think, if I could just have this, if I could just have that, then my life would be better. And so we make changes in order to pursue those goals. How many rich people, famous celebrities and, and famous athletes who make all this money, and we think, man, their life must be so wonderful, and yet we find out behind the scenes that they're miserable, and they make these horrible decisions, and they mess up their lives, and we think, what's wrong with them? Here's why. Because when you seek to satisfy those hungers, you begin to realize that those hungers never truly satisfy. In that pursuit of satisfaction, you find that satisfying your greed is never as satisfying as you think it will be. And so it's an insufficient motivation for lasting change. But what if there's something more? What if there's something better? And so here we are in James chapter 1 today, and we're going to do a quick overview Last week, we gave you just two verses. This week, we're going to give you five chapters. Do you think you can do that? They're really, really short chapters, I promise. In just less than 30 minutes, you can read probably all the way through the book of James. So today, to get you started, so that you can do that at home this week, we're going to do a quick overview of the book of James, which gives us answers and insight into this whole equation. So in James chapter 1, verse 4, we see something that sums up really the theme of the whole book. James 1, verse 4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what does this say? Here is the theme of the entire book of James. That God's goal in your life is to make you mature and complete, Verse 4 says, so that you are not lacking anything, that you are living in fullness and abundance in your life. Let's skip down to verse 18. Just look at it. It's not going to be on the screen, but just in your Bible. Verse 18 says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so it says that God wants to give you a new kind of a life to make you more like Jesus, to be fruitful in your life. How do we do that? Still in chapter 1, look at verse 19. 
and verse 20. James says the anger of man does not accomplish the work of God. So that doesn't work. You know how the world runs around angry and bothered about stuff all the time? It says that kind of life, always being angry and upset about things all the time, does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. On into verse 21 and verse 23. Uh, these three verses, James says, the whole issue has to do with this lack of integration in our life that we talked about, where what's above the surface is out of line uh, with what we say we believe beneath the surface in our lives. Then he drills into this idea of inconsistency even more in our lives in chapter 2. That our behavior is often not consistent with our internal beliefs and values. And so in chapter 2, when you read this, you see that Jesus says, or, or James says, that this problem is even reflected in our relationships and how we treat people. How often we treat rich people one way, because we hope that it'll improve our position and, and, and help us out, and we treat poor people another way, and James says, this isn't right. James says, you would not treat people that way if you really understood the love of God. And then at the end of chapter 2, James says, that's the problem, that you're saying one thing and doing another. And so here's the progression. James 1 he said that, that God wants to transform you and make you mature and complete an abundant life like Jesus. James chapter 2 said that our behavior, though, is often not consistent with our internal beliefs and values. Remember the triangle. And now in chapter 3, James says this inconsistency is even reflected in our speech, in the way that we, we talk. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. James says the problem is so often out of the same mouth we praise God, and then in the next breath we curse and criticize men. James says this inconsistency it reflects itself as it spills out in our words. And then look at, at, at the next part, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11 says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In other words, what that's saying is, our words betray us. That, that what happens is, when we, when we speak this way, it reflects the problem that is beneath the surface in our lives. And so if you want to start making positive change in your life, James says one of the areas to start is by speaking positive words. Did, did you catch that in James 3? That, that if you want to make positive change, it starts in part with speaking positive words. And then chapter 4 starts to give us the solution. The whole theme of chapter 4 is that we need to submit ourselves first and fully to God because he is the only one who can transform us down at the core of our being, at the center of who we are. So as we, as we study that throughout this week, 
I want you, as you read the chapters of James this week, to think back to our, our iceberg diagram. We started the first week in that diagram asking the question, what? What do I want to change in my life? But once you determine what you think God wants you to change in your life, you also need to understand the why question. Why do I want this change in my life? What is my motivation? Because remember, guilt is an insufficient motivation. Yes, it will charge up your battery to make change and get you headed down the road, but eventually your guilt battery drains and you end up going back to old habits. But there is a positive kind of guilt that we are going to talk about next week that's called conviction. You see, in the Bible, there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. And next week, we are going to see that the Holy Spirit leads to a positive sense in our lives called conviction to help us make change in our life. Then we talked about today the motivation of greed, wanting to satisfy the hungers of our lives, thinking that that will somehow make us feel better. But feel-good motivation never sustains us for the long haul. So next week, what we're going to do is instead of talking about the negative motivations today, next week we are going to address the single most effective motivator for change. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Here it is. The ultimate motivation for change is love. You, just ask any teenage boy whose heart is captured by a girl. All of a sudden, he starts wearing deodorant. <laughs> he starts combing his hair. He starts finding motivation that sustains him to make change in his life. You see, for love, we would climb the highest mountain. We would swim the widest ocean. We would walk the hotbed of coals. We will walk to the ends of the earth for love. But what we need to understand more than anything is the ultimate source of love in our life is none other than God himself. See, Jesus said, no greater love has any man than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus was the ultimate manifestation of love in this world. And today we're going to celebrate communion together, which is the representation of that love, that great act of love, giving his life up for you and for me. Would you stand? And so we invite the ushers to come forward with the communion elements as we prepare our hearts to pray together. But maybe you're here today and you have never surrendered to this overwhelming love that God offers. The forgiveness for our sin that Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross 
If you've never surrendered your life to him, please don't leave this place today without making that decision by simply praying this prayer. And you can do it as we sing this song in just a minute. You simply pray, Father, I confess my sin. I confess my selfishness. The greed and the guilt that I've wrestled with has been overwhelming in my life. But today I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. I receive your gift of forgiveness. Would you come into my life and change me? Change me from the inside out. And if you pray that prayer, you too can receive communion today. See, the bread represents his body broken for us on the cross. And the cup represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness and purification of our sins. You don't have to be a member of the church here in order to receive communion, but you do need to be a believer. And so, as these elements pass by, if you just hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup, and at the end of this song, we're going to receive them together. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon this sacrament. And we are here today because we acknowledge that apart from you, our lives are insufficient, that you alone are the answer, that you alone are what we need in our lives. You alone can empower us to make the changes that we need to make. And so we receive your gift of forgiveness today. And as we receive these elements, may you bless them and administer your grace to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you take these and grab hold of them, we have this song that we would love for you to learn this morning.